0: Let me go ahead and say good morning or, yes, good morning and happy Sabbath. Now, are you telling the truth? Are you really happy? Well, if you're happy, then say happy Sabbath like you mean it. Happy Sabbath. Sabbath. Praise the Lord. That sounds like a group of happy people. And I am definitely happy and I'm definitely thankful to be here with you all as we prepare our hearts to study the word. Um, I don't know if you were given a title, but if you weren't, I was asking God, I'm not big on titles myself, but nevertheless, I was asking God, Lord, what would you have me to entitle this? And God simply said, call it ID card. Our need for an ID card. And so if you like titles, then that is your title. But nevertheless, the Lord is going to teach us from his word what he desires from each of us. And I believe the best way to do that is with prayer. And I'm very appreciative of the uh, prayer that has already been given, but I call it a habit or what have you. There's just something very personal about my need to offer a word of prayer before I speak. And so I'm going to go to my knees one more time. You don't have to. You just went to your knees. But if you would like to, you could certainly kneel with me. But in either case, let us reverently go before God and ask him to do something special to speak to our hearts as we prepare to go through the message. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you know what we need, but it's imperative that we have ears to hear. And so I simply pray in the name of Jesus that you would please forgive us of anything that we have said, done, or even entertained in our thoughts that has broken your heart. And I ask that you would purify us through the precious blood of Jesus and that you'll grant us your Holy Spirit, who is the only one who is an effectual teacher of truth. And may you make your words plain to us that we can leave from this message better than where we were before it started. And I pray that if we even take one more round up on Jacob's ladder, may your name be honored and glorified. And we thank you that you have heard this prayer, more importantly that you have answered it, for we ask it all in Jesus' name, (coughs) amen. I'm going to time myself. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. We're going to what book? We're going to Hebrews. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. We're going to consider the 11th chapter. And I want you to watch what the Bible says as we consider Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I would imagine many of us know this verse by memory. But in the event you don't, we're going to review it so that way no one is passed by. The Bible says something, and it's amazing because I have read this verse perhaps literally tens of thousands of times over my 26 years of being part of this Advent movement. But this verse speaks to me in a way that it did not do in most previous years. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, and if you're there, please let me know by saying amen. Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, it says, But without what? But without faith, it is... Impossible to do what? To please God. Why? It says, for he who comes to God must believe what? That he, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. One of the very first things that God puts as the qualifier of that which pleases him, according to the verse, is we must believe that he is. That is a very, very important verse. Sometimes this verse is gleaned over, it's overlooked, or it's not deeply studied or taken seriously because maybe there's not enough going on in our lives for us to contemplate him. But usually when things start to happen, loss of money, loss of property, sickness, death, facing the loss of someone who has died, when these things begin to happen, you begin to start asking questions that sometimes you never asked in your various amount of years of Christianity, you start wondering, are you really who you say you are? This is why last night I thought to myself, I said, this message that uh, Brother Bryant, you know, started us with, it was so pivotal. I mean, it was just like, Lord, I said, that's the message right there. How do we view God? How do we understand him? I see on Facebook all the time, even my own sister, whom I love dearly, and and this is no fault of hers. Again, it is just the idea of how our minds work. My sister four years ago had cancer. She had breast cancer. She went through traditional medicine. Her breast cancer went away. And just a few days ago, she put up. In fact, it was July 25th. She put up on uh, Facebook, praise the Lord, it has been four years since I had my breast cancer. And I am still clear of my breast cancer. Now, isn't that something worthy to say, praise the Lord, is it not? I mean, that's, that's something worthy to say that. But she didn't conclude it there. She then said, oh, how much he loves me. And I thought to myself as I read the post, it is not a rebuke to my precious sister, but it's like, what if... Year five, it came back. You know, that's always the thing that they watch for in oncology. You know, they want to go ahead and see if you can get past that five-year mark. Because they make it very clear. It can pretty much potentially come back within those five years. What if year five comes by and all of a sudden, lump, symptoms, et cetera? What if it comes back? My question is, can you still go on Facebook? Can you still say, oh, how much he loves me, my cancer came back? it would almost sound ridiculous, wouldn't it, to the natural mind? It would sound like, hold up, that don't even make sense what you just said. So again, a lot of times we have this view of God that you are somebody who loves me because of what you've done for me. And again, we base it on circumstances and so on. And that's why I said, Lord, this, this message is hitting some serious heart cords. And I know I got what I needed, and I hope you got what you needed. And so a lot of times we have very skewed views of God. We don't understand who he is. And as a result of not understanding who he is, I guarantee you we will mess up the fact that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And this is how we'll start falling into fanaticism and legalism and, you know, trying to work our way into heaven and et cetera, et cetera. We'll have righteousness by works versus righteousness by faith. Everything else gets messed up when we don't understand who he is. So when I look at that verse, I said, "Okay, God is telling me, Dwayne, until you understand who I am, whatever you do, I'm not pleased or I'm not as pleased as I want to be. And so I had to really start asking myself those questions. Who is he? So the Bible actually helps us with this. And I want you to see it in Exodus 3. Go to Exodus 3 with me, and I want you to watch what the text says. Because we're living in a time, brothers and sisters, where I believe with all of my heart. I really, really believe this. The more that I study and the more that I pray and the more that I observe the signs of the times. I do not believe that we need to wait for more. And please hear me good on what I'm saying. I don't, I'm not trying to create confusion. I don't believe we're living in the time that we need to see more agitations from the papacy to let us know they are vehement on setting up a Sunday law. I don't think I need to see more of those agitations. I've seen more than enough. They have spoken very clear on that matter. I don't need to see a whole lot more happened with the United States of America makes it very clear we are that second beast of Revelation 13 and in order to set up the image of the beast, we must have a reunion of church and state. There are all sorts of things that are happening right now. Everything from the wall, everything from the Johnson Amendment, everything from way back in 9-11. Things have been moving super rapid pace to get us to a place in America that we become so afraid and so fearful that we'll actually trade our freedoms for safety. And that's how we're going to get back church and state. And you can look at the American landscape and pay attention to what the people are saying. And the Bible makes it clear this thing is definitely getting ready to come to pass. I don't know how much more of that I need to see. I believe I've seen enough. I don't need to see the reality as much anymore that God's very church that he raised up to finish his work is the very church that is showing a mass amount of confusion, compromise and cowardice. When God is calling for a people that are called to stand, though the heavens may fall, to call sin by its right name, to make the word of God plain. We're seeing all sorts of drama and all sorts of things that are rising up in our very own movement. God has made that thing plain a long time ago. There's one thing. However, that I have not seen as much of. Movements of the papacy, ton of information, ton of evidence. Movements of the United States of America trying to reunite church and state, tons of evidence. Reality that God's people are allowing themselves to become so blinded and they are hence losing their identity. That we are imitating the other churches and imitating the world and allowing all sorts of things to come into the church that's leavening the people of God. I have tons of information on that. But you know the one thing I don't have enough of? The one thing that God is waiting for that will finish this word. The uniting of his people. There's not as big a, there's not as much of a plethora of that evidence. We got present truth against precious truth. We got liberals against conservatives. We have black conferences against white conferences. We have all sorts of anti everything. And there's very little evidence of true biblical unity. And so what I believe is that God is saying, when will my people come to know who I am so I can get them to give me what I want? I believe that's the time we're living in, brothers and sisters. I believe with all of my heart, if God can have a people that can become united upon his banner of truth, when God has that number made up, everything else will move with lightning speed and the work will be finished. Jesus will come and we finally go home and get off this sin sick planet. But everything has to boil down to. Who is he? And so in Exodus chapter three. Moses was given an incredible task. When he was given his task, it was very powerful. It, you know, Moses was called to go to Pharaoh, the leader not merely of a country, the mere, the leader not merely of a continent, the leader of an entire world. And he was supposed to tell him, "Let my people go." This humble shepherd. And so Moses asked the question, "Okay, well, when I go and I go to my people, et cetera, and I let them know I'm on this major deliverance mission," he says. Who should I say sent me? And God says, I'm going to tell you who I am. And he put it very nicely. He said in Exodus three, right there in verse 14, it says in Exodus three and 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. I looked up the word I am the word I am in its absolute original state. Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, And then ultimately they added vowels and then you get Yahweh and then translations, you get Jehovah and Lord. God says, that's who I am. You want to know who I am? I am who I am. That doesn't help you at all, does it? <laughs> God literally says, if you want to know who I am, he says, I'm everything that I said I was. So then you start going through scripture. You go to John 14. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You go to John 11. I am the resurrection. You go to first John four. I am love. God says, I am who everything that I said I am. And that is the simplicity of it. God is who he says he is. And the only way we're going to know who he is is we've got to go to the word so we can find out. And as we go to the word, we're going to see him manifest himself in many, many ways. He does not lock himself in a box. He says, I am who I say I am. I am your deliverer. I am your friend that sticks closer than even your own family. I am who I said I am. And God says the more that we begin to know that, the more that we begin to understand that, the better off we will be that now that we know who he is, then perhaps the next goal can be more effectively and faithfully accomplished. Like in humanity, you can tell me all sorts of people who you you can tell me all sorts of names and whatnot of who you are. But at the end of the day. Somebody sooner or later is going to ask you for an ID card. Isn't that right? You know, I've been to a lot of countries. I stopped counting a long time ago. And one thing I know to be a fact, whatever country I go into, I could walk through there, but there's always going to be a gate. There's always going to be some point where people are going to be like, hey, stop right here. Who who are you? And I could just be like, what are you talking about? I'm Dwayne Lemon. You know, move aside. (laughs) You think that's going to work? No, they're going to say, sir, I need to see some what? I need some ID. And my ID is proof that I am who I said I was. God understood the dynamics of what was going to happen in his family. And so when God made you and I, I believe that God wanted you and I to be a symbol of his ID card. Can you imagine that? You're an ID card. Right now, the world is hearing all sorts of things about a God. And they're hearing a lot of things about this God that exists, that loves and all these other things. But they're confused on his identification. They don't understand his ID. They're saying, yeah, I mean, you're saying who you are, but really, is it true? How can I know that you are not presenting to me false identification?" And on earth, that's a legitimate question, isn't it? When you come into a country, they got to make sure you're not a terrorist. They got to make sure you're not some shady person that's going to cause some drama. So they need to at least know that you're legit by which you said you came from such and such a place that you actually came from such and such a place. God has made a statement to the world, and I want you to see what did God do that he wanted to eventually spread his identification all throughout the planet. It was right there in Genesis chapter 1. Go to Genesis 1 again. Take a look at it. The more we begin to understand who God is, the easier it is to fulfill the next part. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says in Genesis 1, right there in verse 26, The Bible says, and God said, let us make man in what? Our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God wanted to make it clear that whoever I am, I wanted to be represented through my people. Our identity, hands down, is found in Christ. And our identity is not necessarily what we do. Obviously, by way of our identity, it's going to produce actions. There's no question about that. Whatever goes on in the mind is going to come out in words. It's going to come out in actions. But God wanted us to understand who he was. And then he wanted you and I to be living demonstrations of who he is. Our identity is found in Christ, period. And the sooner that we understand that, the better off we shall be. Think about it. If you, look up, if you simply were to look up the term ID or identi- identity, it is the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. That's what an identity is. It's a fact of being who or what that thing or person is. That's what an ID is. God says, I have an identity and I know who I am. And I love it. When you look at Jesus, Jesus, one of the reasons why his ministry was so powerful. Go to Luke four. If you look at Luke four, you can see one of the reasons why Jesus's ministry was so incredibly powerful. And perhaps this is the reason why sometimes our ministries are so incredibly weak. If you look at what the Bible says, the Bible says in Luke, the fourth chapter and watch the text, Luke, the fourth chapter. Every day, every opportunity I preach, teach, heal, or whatever God uses me to do to seek to be a blessing to somebody, I'm always asking him, Lord, could more have been done? Could greater impact have taken place? I refuse to be satisfied. Why? I was reading a little book. Don't worry, you're in Luke 4. I didn't forget. (laughs) But I was reading a little book called Volume 4 of the Testimonies (laughs) to the Church. It was under a chapter called... um, yeah, I believe it was called, Co- yes, Coworkers with Christ, co-workers with Christ, Volume 4, The Testimonies to the Church. It was on page 67, and what it was talking about, it says, as the merchant man and as the businessman is excellent in their trade. She then says, ought not the evangelist to be so? In other words, she says, if the merchant man is excellent in his trade, if the businessman is excellent in his trade, should not the evangelist be excellent in their trade? Then she says... In order to do the work of soul winning effectively, she says there are two things that the evangelist must understand, the human mind and human nature. Then she goes over to page 68. She says this next. And this is the part that always stuck with my mind up to 18 years ago when I read it. She says on page 68, she says. When we understand the human mind and human nature, she says, when we only won one soul to Christ, we could have won 20. That's what always makes me check myself. I'm saying, Lord, do I understand the human mind and human nature? If I do an evangelism series, five people get baptized. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, is there anything when I get my quiet time with God? Father, was there anything in that presentation, anything that was done, anything that was said? Was there anything about my demeanor, my tone of voice, anything, Father, that I can look back at myself where it could have been 10? It could have been 15. It could have been 20. I refuse to be satisfied. And so I'm always in this state of checking myself, checking myself. Lord, how could I have done it better? How could I do better? I'm thankful, but I can't get caught up into that. I got to keep going. There's more souls to be saved. What can I do better? And so it is that when I think about the great calling, the great purpose, the great work that God has called us to do, God says everything balls back to first understanding who I am. And when I look at Jesus... I want you to watch what it says in Luke 4, Luke 4 and verse 16. Watch what the text says in Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Esaias. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And what happened next? It says the eyes of all of them were fastened on him. They couldn't let it go. Now, you have to understand what Jesus did was routine. It was just as routine as what we did today. There is always in a divine service in the Seventh-day Adventist church. There is always a scripture reading, isn't there? Now, when's the last time somebody said, all right, let's turn our Bibles to such and such a place. And then they go ahead and they read the Bible. And when they finish doing the scripture reading, they close the book and then they sit down and all of you were like, wow and your eyes were fastened on the person that gave the scripture reading? When's was the last time that happened to you? You ever had somebody do a scripture reading so well that it, it fixed your mind on them? That never happened. But that's exactly what happened to Jesus. What Jesus did was just as common as what you and I do today. It was common in the synagogue that somebody would go up, grab one of the scrolls, open it up, and read it. That was common. But for some reason, when Jesus read it, It had a very uncommon impact. We get a clue into what was so uncommon about it in the next verse. What does it say in the next verse? Jesus then said unto them what? This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. I love that about him. Jesus was a man that he knew who he was. He knew who he was, and therefore he knew the work that he was supposed to do. And when he opened up those scriptures, he was not reading it as a text that maybe we ourselves don't believe. When Jesus read the scripture, he saw himself in the prophetic chart. I always ask young people, where are you in the prophetic chart? What's going on, brother? How you doing? Hey, sis, how you doing? Question for you. Where do you fit in the prophetic chart? And they look at me like I just spoke Greek when I spoke English. And the reason why they look at me like that is because they're not used to either being asked that question or considering the question. You are not accidents. You fight tooth and nail to prove the evolutionists wrong that there's a creator rather than a silly big bang. Okay, well, if there's a creator, what creator do you know that does not have a purpose for the creation? Every single creator has a purpose for the creation. So listen, if you're in this room right now, even if you're a disinterested youth, my question to you is this. In your disinterest, are you saying that you came from a rock? Is that what you believe? If you say to me, no, I don't believe I came from Iraq. I don't believe I came from amoebas and tadpoles and et cetera. I don't believe I came from monkeys. I believe there's a designer. Then I'm like, then what designer do you know that does not have a purpose for their design? And if you say to me, well, I don't know any designer like that. okay. so does the designer that you have, does he have a perfect plan for you? Yes. Then why are you looking at my question like I'm silly? Again, where do you fit in the prophetic chart? Where do you belong? What's your purpose? Or are you just an accident? Are you just an occupant of time, space and flesh? And so sometimes we got to really rethink ourselves and say, okay, if God or since God is in fact the creator, he is who he says he is, he is the creator, he's my friend, he is my savior, he's my way, he's my life, he's my, he's my, he's mine. Then God says, then what I want is I want you to understand that when I made you, I made you to be a reflection of me. Your identity is found in Christ. The more that we begin to understand that, It changes your behaviors. It changes your words. It changes your thoughts. And it changes your actions. You know, the first time the word church comes up in the Bible, go to Matthew 16. It's the first time the word church comes up in the Bible. And I always thought about this. The the, the word church. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, the word church has a very important meaning. And I want you to see what the Bible says in Matthew 16. We're going to start at verse 13. And when you get there, just let me know by saying amen. Amen. In Matthew 16, starting at verse 13, the Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You see, God wanted to know. How do you understand me? These questions are relevant. The same way that the question was asked over 2,000 years ago is the same way the question needs to be asked 2,000 years later. Who is he? That's what he's asking. Well, they gave the answer. He's, uh, you know, verse 14. And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or other Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them. Well, whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Well, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I like verse 18. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The rock that Peter confessed, which was Christ, is going to be the foundation of the church. The word church, anybody ever studied it? What does the word church mean? The called out ones. That's the Greek word ecclesia, the called out ones. So the church is a group of people that are the called out ones. Question, how many of you are not part of the church? Can I see you raise your hand? If you're not part of the church. Not part of the church. Now I'm looking up top and I see no hands going up. I'm looking to my left, I see no hands going up. Looking to my right, I see no hands going up. Going to my far right and a few, no hands going up. That means all of you are part of the church, right? Okay, now Because you're part of the church, then you are part of the called out ones. Would you agree? Because that's what the church is. The church is not a building. It's not limited to that. The church is a group of people that have been called out. So now the next question. What do you think the next question is? Called out of what? Go to 1 Peter 2. If you look at 1 Peter 2, I'm going to show you what the church was called out of. Okay? Because the church is a group of people that have been called out. They're the called out ones. So now we're going to consider what we've been called out of. So now we're going to look at 1 Peter 2, and let's go ahead and consider verse 9. In 1 Peter 2, I want you to notice what the Bible says as we consider verse 9. When you get there, just let me know by saying amen. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, but you are a what? You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, and a peculiar people That you should show forth the praises of him who has done what? Called you out of and into his. Now that is what you've been called out of. That's clear. In other words, because, boy, I tell you, this, this, this message has deep implications. We are the called out ones. We have not just been called out of a building to another building. We've been called out of one way of life into another way of life. This has always been God's way of viewing his church. Always. And so we see that the word church means called out ones. Now we know what we've been called out of. We've been called out of what? Darkness into his? Question. What is darkness? Darkness. Say again. The absence, of light. the absence of light. How many of you agree with that? You agree with that? Darkness. Is the, OK, so do you agree that we as the church, we have been called out of the absence of light? We've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. You agree with that, right? OK, let's understand light. And I think the more we understand light, we can better define darkness and we can more clearly understand what we've been called out of and into. Because right now, if I said My friend, don't you know you've been called out of darkness? Don't you know you've been called into light? I don't think that helps you, does it? Not on a practical level. That doesn't help you. So I'm going to list three things. I'm not saying that there's not more. But I'm going to list three things that the Bible calls light. And when we consider it, we can understand the contrast. Number one, Psalms 119. Let's go there. In Psalms 119th division, let's find out what God calls light. Psalms, we're looking at... One nineteen. In Psalms the hundred and nineteenth division, I want you to see what the Bible says in verse one o five. In Psalms one nineteen and verse one o five, watch what the text says. Very very powerful, yet so simple. The Bible says in Psalms one nineteen and verse one o five, it says, "Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path." So God has called us out of darkness. Into his marvelous light. So one of the things we know is that darkness is the absence of light. One of the first things we identify as light is the word of God. So what is the opposite of this light? What is the absence of the word of God? In other words, we are called to live by the word of God. That is walking in the light. What is the opposite of that? Living by what? Say again. Living by. I like that. I like that. The word of man. I think that's good. Would that include ourselves? The opposite of this light, the absence of it. If we're not living by the word, then we're certainly going to live by the words of man. If we're not going to live by the word of God, then we're going to live by the word of man. That's even better than what I had prepared. I like that. Hey, humble enough to admit it. That that was all right. That was good stuff. Literally. What do you live by right now? Do you find yourself often saying I think That, that is one religion I can't stand is the I think religion. I don't even like I think sermons. The pulpit is not meant for men or women to tell you what they think. The pulpit is meant to tell you what God says. Does that make sense? You see, if you go to Proverbs 14, look at Proverbs 14. What does the Bible say? In Proverbs, the 14th chapter, consider the 12th verse. Proverbs 14 and verse 12, when we think about it, God wants us to understand what is the issue with living by the words of man, even if I'm the man, even if you're the woman. What is the issue? The issue is very simple. In Proverbs 14 and verse 12, The Bible says there is a way that what seemeth "Seemeth right unto who unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of God does not want you to live by what you think is right. It might kill you. So the true people of God, the church of God are people who do not live and conduct their lives based on what they feel and what they think and what they sense. They live by what God said. They run their ministries by what God said. They run their various institutes like we heard up here. We heard about all of these different institutes and what have you. The test is very simple. Are you doing everything according to the word? You must remove every injection of man that you have put into the ministry. That's one of the reasons why we're still stuck on this planet since 1844. God wants us to understand that I am not going to surrender. God says, I'm not going to do it. I am going to get what I want. And the first thing God wants is for men and women to do everything by by the word of God. Now, my brothers and sisters, again, the word church means the called out ones. You've been called out of darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. The first thing we looked at is God's word is light. So the absence of God's word causes us to follow the words of man. That's living in darkness. When you live according to what you feel, what you think, what you think is right, or what have you, or you go to others and say, what do you think is right? And we basically make our decisions based on what some other person said. You know, even in the name of counselors, and I want to say this, go to Psalms 119, but I want you to look at verse 24. How do you know a good counselor from a bad one? Well, it's pretty simple, actually. I want you to watch this because there are many people who can call themselves counselors that may not counsel right. And sometimes you can't just go with someone just because they say I'm a counselor. There's more than that. And I want you to see it. Psalms 119 and verse 24. The Bible says in Psalms 119 and verse 24, thy what? Thy testimonies also are my delight and my any good Bible counselor does not take that precious time with you to tell you what they think you should do. What they do is they tell you what God says. All counselors must subject themselves to the counselors. And whenever counsel is given that contradicts the counselors, that is unsafe counseling. So that's something very simple you can do. You could just simply say, okay, uh, I appreciate those thoughts, Mr. or Mrs. Counselor. Where's that in the word? Oh, well, you don't need that. Well, I don't need you. (laughs) You get that? All counseling, counseling's fine, but it must be based on the word. You get that? And so there are many ways that we follow the words of man, even though we say we follow the words of God. I'm giving you some simple examples, but for time's sake, go to Proverbs 6. In Proverbs, the sixth chapter, there's something else called light. I want you to see what the Bible says as we consider Proverbs 6. And now we're going to consider verse 23. In Proverbs, the sixth chapter, and verse 23. The Bible says, for the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. Do you see that? The commandment is a lamp. And the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. God says that his law is light. So what is the opposite? A lawless life. When we live a life that contradicts God's law, we can say we are living in darkness. We are playing with darkness. We are participating in darkness. This is why God has raised up a people to bring them back in harmony with his law, both moral and physical. I don't know about you, but I get tired of funerals. And I appreciate, I'm telling you, I I told Brother Brian, I said, listen, man, that message was of God, brother. I appreciate it. I told him, my wife and I were talking about it last night when he talked about the laws of cause and effect. Brothers and sisters, listen. The church is a called out group. We've been called out of darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. God's word is light. God's law is life. This is what he called his people to live in. We are children of God. I almost called this sermon, Do You Know Who I Am? Why did I do that? Because I come from a culture called hip-hop. And in the hip-hop culture, there's a lot of artists and a lot of celebrities that often would go places. And when they go places like clubs or this, that, and the other, there might be a bouncer or somebody who doesn't recognize them. And when they don't recognize them, they'll say, hold up, you don't know who I am? And then they'll go ahead and, you know, start talking about themselves. And so I really familiarize with this idea of you don't know who I am, you don't understand, and all these things. But my brothers and sisters, that's on a worldly and, yea, foolish concept. But the more that we understand who we are, we should be able to respond that when darkness comes to us, whether it be in the form of satanic spiritualism or whether it comes in the form of a person that is for a moment even controlled by a demon, that when they come to us and suggest to us to go ahead and to participate in darkness, we should be able to say, hold up, you don't know who I am. I'm a child of God. Like Joseph, how can I do this sin against my God? You don't understand who I am. We have to get to a place that we understand who he is and then understand who we are. And then when the suggestions of the devil comes, we have a greater opportunity for resistance. You see, years ago, right there, I did not know who I was. This is very real for me. I mean, seriously, I was sitting down and thinking about it because my friend, one of my former dancing brothers, this is Excel. That's the guy. He sent me a video clip of me. Dancing back in the days. And when he sent me the video clip, I was like, oh, man. And I'm looking at myself on the video. And as I'm watching myself dance and stuff like that. And then we did a We did an interview. And in the interview, I'm talking in the interview. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, you know, what I'm saying. And I'm just looking at, you know, I'm looking at the video like, hold up. And it, my wife will tell you, one time I was looking at the screen, and I'm talking like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm talking all this New York twang, and I, li- I grabbed at the screen like trying to grab my mouth. Like, you know how a mother, when you talk in front of your mother goes, mm-hmm, talk like that. And, you know, they twist your lips. In Caribbean background, you would get that. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, I wanted to just twist my little lip and say, Dang, what are you talking like that for? But, you know, it's a video. But the point is, at this time, like Sister Jennifer talked about this morning, you see what you admire and you start blending in it and you merge your identity into it. I was into hip-hop. So this is what I'm merging my identity into. In hip-hop, you don't smile. You know what I'm saying? In hip-hop culture, you do the grungy face, the grimy face, this type of stuff. So that's why nobody's smiling here, except him, he was a little nervous. But we, we, no smile, because that, that's the culture. The culture says no smiling. So I start forming that. I start forming that in my walk. I start forming that in how I talk. It's like my whole lifestyle became hip-hop. I, I, at, a, you know, at an early age, you know, Sister Jennifer, she talked about how many young people strive to you know, be part of the industry, and they don't make it. She said there's some that do. I was part of the some. The people I watched on TV, I told my mother and father, I said, Mom and Dad, one day I'm going to dance with those people. My mother and father was like, really, you think you could do that? I was like, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I can. And they was like, okay. Next thing you know, started going to tours. I'm sorry, I started going to clubs. I started auditioning. And next thing you know, I started working with these people. So I started working with Queen Latifah at the time, Heavy D. At the time, y'all know that R&B uh, star, Brandy? You know, I, I started to work with them. Started to work with them. When we were on tour, that was me right there. Battery. Yeah, it's showing the battery's dying. But in either case, these were the things that I was participating in. Started to work with all of these guys. So I got deeply engrossed into hip-hop culture. Deeply engrossed. On the stage, in the videos, working with all these guys and everything else. Thank you so much. Because this was the image, this is what I kept following on. So what I started to do was I would pick up all the habits. So if the brothers would make the grungy faces, I would make it. My identity was literally merged into what I was beholding. You understand that? And this is the victimization that has happened to many of us. We got caught up into what we were beholding. So what happens? Now I take my photos and that's what I'm doing. Now I'm the one that's trying to look like this tough guy and all these other things. Where does this come from? It comes from a man who did not understand his identity. I allowed the world, I have allowed those things that I was admiring to go ahead and mess around with my head. And what God is trying to say to me, what he was saying to me, of which I am seeking to say to you, is that this culture or any of the other cultures, even if it's the opposite, if it's the rock and roll culture or some other type of culture, these things never define who a man or a woman is. God wants to get us to a place that we know who he is. Some of us know more about rap stars and rock stars than we know about God and his truth for this time. God says, I want to make a paradigm shift. I want to change that. And he can. Because the truth of the matter is, is that I began to study. I began to look at the word of God. I was busy into this culture and into this lifestyle. It took the death of my nephew And when my nephew got killed, that changed everything for me. That's the first time I started really thinking about death and life. Life was not all about a party. And so from that, I began to really think, man, I need God. I came face to face with something I have no control over, which is death. It was just my nephew. If I could, I would have resurrected him right there. But I couldn't do it. And I had to deal with the sorrow, deal with the pain, deal with the depression, And eventually God allows me to come across a message. It was a flyer on the street. I had some spiritual interest and there was a flyer on the street. My friend found the flyer, brought it to my house. And the meeting was 15 minutes from my house. So what did I do? I left my house. I went to the tent meeting. Heard a message like I never heard in my life. Came up to the preacher at the end. I said, listen, man, what what is this? What are you guys preaching? What is this? Who are you? Oh, we're Seventh-day Adventists. I said, what's that? I never heard of that in my life. Oh, it sounds to me like you want to study. Oh, yeah, man, I'm open to studying. Started to study the word of God. Went down into that watery grave of baptism 26 years ago. I never thought I could let go of hip hop. I said, no, that's impossible. That stuff is in my DNA. And God says, well, I'm the master of changing DNA. And I marvel at how God can change a man. You see, for me, I look at this picture, and then I look at this picture. And in my mind, that for me, God is like, don't forget what I could do. That that for me is God saying, don't forget what I can do. God's like, I can change anybody. Because God is like, I know where you came from. And Dwayne, you know where you came from. But the question is, how did I get to a place that I have greater peace? I have greater understanding. I enjoy the life that I live in serving the Lord. Lord, bless me with a bride and four children. And we can serve the Lord together as a family. How does does that happen? God says it was as a result of you getting to know me. And as you get to know him and you understand who he is, you more clearly understand who you are. And as you understand who you are, God now imparts strength to you to say, now walk in this light. I called you out of darkness. I called you into this marvelous light. You see, the last light is John 9 and verse 5. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. God says, I want you to understand that's your identity. Christ likeness. And my brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell it to you like this in closing. And I really appreciate the Lord giving this to me. The Lord put something on my heart here that I thought was so beautiful. This is my license. It's my ID. But some of you don't have this ID. In other words, you might have a driver's license, but you don't have this yet. But according to our laws... In the United States of America, especially as a result of Donald Trump's presidency, your licenses as they are will not do. And by the year 2020, everyone's gonna have to have a license like mine. You know what this license is called? And I thought to myself, I said, Father, that's pretty good. This license is called the Real ID. That's what, is, that's what they actually call it. If you go to your you know, DMV or what have you, I need to get the real ID. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they know exactly what it is. And what it is is that this, under by any means, this shows clearly you are who you said you are. I thought to myself, there's a lot of churches right now that are all claiming to have God's ID. And some of them are presented to the world false identification. And it's beautiful because right here you'll, you'll see that they, they have an a, a imprint, a stamp, that they put on this real ID that no man could take it away. And God says, in the last moments in earth's history, right now this world is confused. They still don't know who I am yet. But God says, but I am preparing a people that I'm getting ready to put my stamp on them. And I'm going to seal them with the seal of the living God. And as they are sealed, they will make known to the world the real idea of who I am. And my brothers and sisters, I want to be part of that team. And by God's grace, my hope and my prayers, you'll be part of that team. And if it's your desire from your heart to say, Lord, I want you to be able to stamp your real idea upon me and I realize it's going to require some cooperation. Maybe there's some areas of darkness in your life you still haven't walked out of yet and God is calling you to walk out of it and to walk into his marvelous light. And if you see that there's some area where you know you're inconsistent, you know you're compromising, you know that you're perhaps playing games even with God and his word and you're at a precious place where you're saying, Lord, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the world dictating to me who I am and who you are. But I'm asking please give me your spirit. Help me to more clearly understand who you are and then help me to understand who I am. And may I walk in the light of who I am as you have made me that by your grace, you will put your seal on me and I'll be part of that team that represents the real ID. If that's your desire and I'm serious, then I invite you to stand to your feet. If that's your desire, You're going to cooperate with God. You're going to consider the darkness, those areas in your life where you know you're compromising. And that's why you're standing. God wants 100% people. I would never accept my wife. My wife would never accept me if I said, let me just get 1% of the the old life. Hold on to old women. She says, let me hold on to old men. No, my brothers, that would never work. Not even 0.1%. It has to be all or nothing in the eyes of God. He says, I want all, all or nothing. And that's why you're standing. Let us go ahead and let us pray together as we seal the decisions that we're making today. Our gracious Father in heaven, we're grateful that you have spoken to our hearts. We're grateful, Lord, that as we get to know who you are, we can better understand how you sought to hide your identity within us that we might make it known to the world. And Lord, right now, there's confusion to the right and to the left. But by your grace, we don't have to be part of that confusion for you're certainly not the author of it. And so we're praying that you will help us to be truly, from the heart, called out ones that will come away from the darkness of this world. We will enter into the marvelous light of Christ our righteousness And may you ultimately put your imprint, your stamp of the real idea upon us. And we will light the world with your glory. Help us to be faithful to this end. Forgive us for the time that we have wasted. Help us to no longer be prodigals, but to be faithful. It's our prayer that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio.